Well, welcome to the Story of Hope podcast, where we're sharing the story of how Bible translation brings hope to the people groups of the world. Um, my name is Alex Winslade, and I work at Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand, I'm working in the office doing communications, and I'm joined by my co-host. Yes, hi, my name is Esther, and I am the front person of the band Eversmith. We've been working with Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand for a long time. I think it's like 12 or 15 years or something ridiculous mm-hmm. um, and so we are so excited to be here with our guest Gillian Canole. Did I say that right? You did. Well <laughs> My name's Gillian Canole as Esther has so beautifully said this morning. Uh, I work remotely for SIL Tanzania. I'm a member of Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand. Um, married to Kevin for almost 40 years now and we've got uh, three adult children who are all married and six grandchildren. Wow, cool. That's awesome. Man, I recently got engaged, so every time I meet someone who's been married a long time, I'm like, ooh, tell me your secrets. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a whole other conversation. Maybe I can email you about it. (laughs) Um, So we have some icebreaker questions. Uh, The first one is, what is your favourite season of the year and why? Well, I really love autumn. Me too. I think I like it because... It's usually pretty settled weather here in New Zealand. It's perfect for cycle touring, which is something we really enjoy doing. Oh, cool. And I just love that you can get outside without having to worry too much about sunburn, and then it cools down enough to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And you get that abundance of harvest in the garden as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you guys have a big garden? Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. We're just just planted a whole lot of fruit trees so we're really hoping that this season we'll have even more harvest oh cool what's your favorite thing to grow i'm definitely a veggie garden person cool like we're taking out ornamental gardens and making them productive that's awesome yeah i love that my parents have always had quite a big fruit and veg garden and all the herbs and stuff and we we just grew up with them as part of our meal and so now it's like hard to eat vegetables that aren't garden fresh or and we also had this ginormous lemon tree in New Zealand and they don't really grow citrus very well where I'm in where I am now so that's kind of been a little bit heartbreaking so we probably like spend a, a stupid amount on lemons just because we got so used to eating them um, as part yeah. of a part of everything. But I, I, I love having fresh fruit and vegetables. So re- definitely relate to that. That's awesome. Uh, if you could gain one skill instantly, what would it be? Right now, I would love to be able to speak and understand Swahili. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if it'd be a language <laughs> as a linguist. That's pretty much what I would pick as well. It's just because it takes so long to learn a language fluently. It would just be so nice just to instantly be able to understand. <laughs> yeah. And working remotely, it's there's not that many people in New Zealand that speak Swahili. Mm. So to find someone that I can practice with is really hard. Yeah. Right. And so is that um, a language that you use in your work? It's the language of wider communication in Tanzania. Right. So if I'm communicating with the local team there, that's the language I use. Wow. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So you 
have to know Swahili as well as the language that you're translating it, or do you do different languages with what you do? Um, I don't really know any of the other languages that I work okay. with. Right. Cool. Well, I guess we'll get into specifically what you do with work a bit later, but first we can jump into how you became interested in Bible translation. Yeah, there's kind of two parts to that, if I'm allowed to yeah. talk about the two different parts. So back when I was at high school in the 70s, I had a French teacher and um, she was a Christian and she told me about this organisation called Wycliffe Bible Translators mm -hmm. and I was really quite interested. But I didn't really think that I would ever be good enough in a language to be involved in Bible translation. And also I didn't have a lot of confidence and I didn't know what questions I needed to ask. Mm. So I never really pursued it at that stage, but I was always still really interested in the work that Wycliffe were doing. And then after our kids left home, jump 30 odd years, I actually completed my bachelor's degree with a major in linguistics. Wow. And um, that was the point at which I became more specifically involved in um, Bible translation. Mm. Went on a, uh, a four-week teaching English expedition to Bangladesh, and I shared a room with a translation consultant there. And as she was talking about what was happening, it just kind of gripped me, and I'm like, oh, "Yeah, I would have loved to have been involved in Bible translation." Oh. And when I got back to New Zealand, I said that to one of our Wycliffe New Zealand members. And I said to her, I would have loved to have been involved in Bible translation, but I've left my run too late. And she just looked at me and she quietly said, maybe not. And that kind of got me thinking. And, yeah, it was a bit of a journey from there because um, while I'd been studying, I'd come across this organisation called the Summer Institute of Linguistics, and I thought, oh, wow, the work they're doing looks really good. So I Googled them, as you do, and I found out that SIL and Wycliffe Bible Translators were somehow related. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, there's a bit more to this. And I found this job site, and there's these jobs in Africa where I could help people get their languages written down. And Kevin came into the office and I'm kind of almost jumping in my chair saying, look, we could, we could go to Africa and I could work, help people get the Bible in their own language and I could help them get their language written down. And he just looked at me and said, yeah. <laughs> okay. So like it was back to normal life and <laughs> I was feeling really unsettled, but I knew that, you know, we're a team. Now, I, I couldn't make decisions like this on my own. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, just a time of, of waiting, really, mm. um, until, yeah, eventually God came to Kevin's heart as well, and it's kind of like the rest is history. That's amazing. Um, I love um, my mum, actually was a trained was trained in de dentistry and then when I got born she couldn't handle the sight of blood anymore and so she had to change her entire career um, after giving birth to kids and, and my dad's legally blind and so and she had this strong conviction that she wanted to stay at home with us until at least we were in school and so you know we we 
struggled when we were younger but it was always amazing and the house was full of joy and everything but um but I just remember watching my mum completely have to change course entirely in her life and just killing it and I meet so many people these days who are so terrified of ruining their entire life with one decision and I'm always so encouraged by my mum where it's like you can start again and I love that you lived you've lived um multiple different lifestyles in your life you know being a mom and and now doing what you do it's it's super super cool and I think a lot of people think oh man when I get old I'm just gonna do like nothing or retire or whatever but there's still so much purpose um as we age and a lot of people find that they like really hit their stride you know in their 40s and their 50s and even in their 60s and um so I love that about your story so looking back can you see why God worked out the timing the way that he did I think that I just really didn't have a lot of confidence as a young person and it would have been a pretty hard journey for me mm. whereas this was quite straightforward in in a lot of ways um life experience is really helpful and i don't want this to put anyone off going as a young person because there are so many advantages in the working that I, I just saw the advantages with the young people that we were working with of a lifetime commitment to the task because Bible mm. translation is a bit different to other missions where you can't just kind of dip your toe in there's a lot of uh training involved yeah but yeah for me it was different um I brought something a bit different to what the young people are able to do it would never be as full it would never be as deep but it was still useful and yeah it has been a privilege to be involved but just really simple things like um, our parents grew up in the depression uh, so we'd been brought up to be quite frugal wow. living a simple life like you find in rural Africa it wasn't that challenging for us compared to some of the young people who'd grown up with a lot of plenty around them yeah um, I could look at a, a carcass and tell the butcher which bit I wanted to cook because I'd I knew. Um, I was used to cooking from basic ingredients. It didn't phase me to be without electricity for a while. We we did have electricity where we lived, but it, you know it used to go off, and it wasn't really that much of a problem. Um, mm -hmm. Or yeah, there was just a lot of things where it was a lot simpler uh, adjustment for me than um, for a younger person. Um, yeah, so we're at one stage during our partnership time, um, someone said to me, oh, like you guys are, seem to be really raising support, the financial support really quickly because um, we'd only been going a few months and it looked like we'd be able to leave quite soon. Wow. And I thought, yeah, yeah, you could look at it like that. But on the other hand, it's been like 30 years of preparation. <laughs> right. <laughs> But once we made that decision, it was like things went really quickly from that point on. Yeah, that's amazing. I really resonate with um, what you said about feeling like at the time you were first interested in it, you probably didn't have the confidence because obviously mine's not over as long of a scale, but I had the same thing because when I finished university, I also inquired with Wycliffe and was thinking about dropping straight into raising support and going overseas, but was praying about it and just didn't feel 
you know, at peace about it. I felt a bit uneasy and didn't feel I was quite ready. Um, and even over the past like two years that I've been out of university and working here in the office, I feel like I'm just growing in confidence and I'm realizing, yeah, I really, if I'd gone in at the time that I had, I just, yeah, I wouldn't have been ready. Yeah. Well, it's been actually really cool to see your confidence grow doing the podcast too, like from the first mm-hmm. episodes and it's like subtle in terms of, I think there's just been little growth moments the whole way through, but you seem to have like really blossomed. So it's mm-hmm. not just in maybe <laughs> what you really want to do, but also in other areas of your life, there's the little things that have just sort of seemed to bloom in you, which mm-hmm. is really, really cool to get to witness from afar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I like about your story, Julian, is how even though it was 30 years later that you actually went into the work, God sort of planted the seed in your heart earlier on. Um, yeah, I just think that's really cool because, yeah, that's kind of how God works. And sometimes it's frustrating when, you know, we have this thought and then it doesn't really come to pass and we think, what are you doing, God? But you kind of look back and see how it all comes together. Um, but did you ever, I guess, sort of, question over that time whether God had really given you that thought or what you were called to do? Yeah, in that, um, particularly after I came back from Bangladesh, those first few months um, when God was really unsettling me, um, but Kevin was still really firmly planted in Tauranga, Mm. it was like, okay, am I really hearing from you? Because we're a team We'd moved a lot, but we'd always moved together and it had always been as part of Kevin's calling. Mm. And I found it really scary to think that God could be calling me and what if I was hearing it wrong? Yeah. So I tried to be really careful not to influence Kevin because If I'd influenced him and we got to Africa and he hated it, it's a long way from home. Mm. (laughs) Um, But if I knew that God had done the change, then we'd be okay. Mm. So I really needed to know that it was God that was doing the changing in Kevin's heart as well as in my own. That's awesome. I, 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 I mentioned earlier that I always want to be around people and hear um, marriage advice from them. And I said I'd leave it till later, but you just gave all of us some really great marriage advice. (laughs) So thanks for that. (laughs) It's really, really good. (laughs) Well, in terms of marriage, it was a huge change for us because, like I said, I'd always followed Kevin. I'd always been the support person. Yeah. I'd done all the home stuff. He looked after the outside, the cars. You know, we were quite traditional in that way. Yeah. And suddenly I was going to be working full-time and wow. he was going to be working part-time. And he was there to support me. And that was a, a huge mental shift, a huge emotional mm. shift, and also a huge practical shift. Yeah. Pretty, pretty incredible takes some fortitude <laughs> but, but also a lot of communication I can imagine and just working together and being led by the spirit so that's super cool um did we get to asking you where where you got to now and and how you got to being specifically a typesetter 
No, we haven't gone there yet. Okay, awesome. <laughs> I think I sort of jumped ahead of the game and then I was like, wait, did we actually talk about that? <laughs> We'd love to hear about it. Um, so I headed off to be a linguist um, because the project in Musoma had quite a big linguistics department and my hope was that uh, working in a large department, I might be able to pick up enough skills to be useful, maybe working remotely at the end of our assignment, perhaps into the Pacific nations. Um, but it didn't work out quite as I expected. The linguistics department did have a lot of people there, but I soon discovered that on the mission field, people come and go all the time. And uh, within a few months, there was me in wow. the linguistics department and um, uh, another person who also had joined because it was a large department and um, <laughs> she'd only arrived the month before. Wow. So <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's not always quite what you expect, but we had been warned that one of the most important um, attributes that you can take to the mission field is flexibility. Yeah. Um, so you kind of just roll with what's happening. Um, because I didn't have, you know, a lot of experience or training, um, we left quite quickly, didn't go through all of the ins and outs of training that people usually do when they head out. I was really only ever going to remain a junior member of the team, not doing the highly skilled work of my colleagues. And that was fine with me. Um, I think that my supervisor may have struggled a little bit with that because an intern would usually go with a, a pathway in mind, perhaps something they want to do their thesis on for the for their masters or something like that. And that, that would be the normal pathway for an intern. But I just kept saying to her, look, I'm here to help. I'm here to do whatever you need to succeed in your goals for the department. And I ended up doing a lot of formatting of booklets that um, the clever people had uh, done all the, the work for, but they were still sitting somewhere in the back of their computer um, because it's time consuming doing the formatting, doing the checking and getting them through to print, print stage. Yeah. So I got a lot of satisfaction about seeing these things that had sat some of them five to 10 years, wow. waiting for someone to have the time to actually get them into the hands of the people. Wow. It was things like um, local language grammars, writer's guides, um, just to help people become more literate in their own language. That's amazing. So after um, I'd been there about a year, my supervisor said to me one day, oh, you might have an aptitude for typesetting. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, okay. I had seen the typesetters in Dar es Salaam when I first arrived, and I never thought to ask them what they did. <laughs> um, to me, what it looked like was they sat in an office and they looked at their screens all day. <laughs> and they were really focused. Yeah. Um, but I, I really had no idea what the process was. In a nutshell, it's um, taking the materials once they're as perfect as the translation team can get them, it's taking it from that point and making it look right on the page and getting it into mm. files that the print shop can use. That's awesome. 
What an incredibly yeah. practical role that yeah. probably most people never think about. Like, oh yeah, once you've got the translation, you have to actually make it like readable for people. And like, I know for me, there, there's certain formats of things that just drive me crazy. And um, we all have different preferences and all that sort of <laughs> thing. So finding something that can be pretty universally appreciated and um, and then I guess the different languages probably have different... Um, different situations in terms of how they format things that you have to become aware of and all that sort of thing. It's really, really cool and intriguing part that I've never put much thought to before. Mm. Yeah, and also, like you said, just a very important part (laughs) Um, because a lot of people don't know what typesetting is. I didn't when I first joined and like you said, you didn't, but like you said, some things can just sit around for years and not actually get into the hands of the people and it's like what is the point of all of these 20, 30 years of translation work if it's not actually being put into the hands of the people and they can read it so a very yeah. crucial part and yeah it's why I'm quite excited to just hear more from you about what you do um what is something you like about typesetting specifically uh just going back to what you were saying is that um oh, yeah. it's um it is interesting to me because I'm now back in the Pacific and last time I was in the office in Auckland I picked up some of the Pacific publications or into Asia as well and it was really interesting to see how they're different in different regions of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but specifically, well, the best thing I like about it is that it's, um, oh, now I don't know how to say it. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm a bit of a details person. Right. And... Um, perfectionism is often seen as a handicap in a personality but when you're a typesetter you're actually allowed to let that bit of your personality come forth and you can spend all day working on getting one tiny detail right and you don't feel guilty about it. (laughs) I love that if if I ever get onto the field in any way it's probably going to be in that. Um, I've spent (laughs) most of my life effectively typesetting my dad's emails (laughs) because he's legally blind so (laughs) That's kind of been, yeah, my entire life has been editing and, and putting things in the right order and looking at all the information that he has there and being like, oh, how would a, a sighted person best be able to read this? So um, you're basically describing my life to me and I'm going, oh my gosh, I just want to sit there and make this beautiful. <laughs> that's so great. I love it. That's <laughs> funny because my father used to get me to proofread. I mean, he was really good with words and language, but he wrote a lot of articles for historical magazines and things oh wow and he would often get me to proofread and we would have these big discussions about whether there should be a common there or not mm. <laughs> yeah I love I love those things and I always I'm the person who will comment on everyone's like Facebook posts and correct the grammar <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm yeah I'm that person so uh, <laughs> I didn't know that today I was about to find a kindred spirit but you've made my heart come alive <laughs> Actually, a typesetter doesn't do any proofreading. (laughs) It's fine. It's good. You just make it beautiful. Because we work in languages that we don't know. Yeah. So the Mm. team actually has to make sure that everything we get is correct. Mm. And it's all about um, making it fit on the page and things like that. Yeah. One of the other things is that I admire people who are big picture people, but I can easily get overwhelmed by the big picture. 
And with typesetting, I'm able to just focus on the detail of what I need to get done and know that I can still play a part in mm. the really, really important task of getting the scriptures into the hands of people. That's and really so I cool. count that as a real privilege that God has found this place. It's almost like he said, hey, I've been preparing you for this all your life. Now just yeah. go out and do it. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that um, you obviously type certain languages that you don't know. Are there any sort of challenges about that? Because I wonder if, um, I'm just wondering if as you're typesetting, is it kind of you like to sort of know, oh, this is what's being said here, so that's how we want to present it? Or, yeah, is there challenges with that? Yes, although I say the languages I don't know, but most of the Bantu languages, so I can pick out the parts right. of language. Um, I can often recognise um, some of the, I was going to say big picture, having said I don't like big picture, <laughs> <laughs> big picture stuff without knowing the meaning. Right. And then of course I've, I've got the um, textual references so I can always look it up in English and say, oh, that's what that right. verse is. And, and that helps me when, when I'm trying to place pictures to make sure they're close enough to where they're mentioned in scripture. Oh, that's cool. I've never had to deal with a script, um, complex script, which I imagine would be a bit more of a challenge because you could end up breaking a word or breaking mm. a, a phrase where it shouldn't be broken. Mm. Yeah, because there are some languages that don't have spaces between words sometimes, but you haven't had to deal with one of those. No, but in the in the files, they'll have a a, oh, a, a zero width space. So there will oh. actually be a space so that okay. the software knows where to break. Right. That's super helpful. Man, such, uh, like I, my brain's going to so many different places of things that you can think about with that and, and things that might come up that would be difficult. One of the questions that this is probably such a silly question, but um, do they number the like chapter and verses in the same way universally or is that is that something that's like specifically for different um groupings for people because i know like for us we've made there to be chapters in the book of ephesians for example but really it was just one letter so i wonder do you know if like some languages just go for well this is just a letter so it's just a letter or um is it kept in the same sort of format I don't know about other languages, but the languages that we work in, the translators actually have like a scaffolding of chapters, verses, and even section headings. Okay. And they just fill in the text within those. Okay. Interesting. That's really cool. Well, what is one thing that you learned living in Tanzania that you don't think you would have learned if you stayed in New Zealand? Working with an international team taught me or showed me how God just chooses and uses whoever he wants from wherever he wants and brings them together for a specific purpose at a specific time. And living in New Zealand, I don't think I would ever be, have been able to quite grasp that global perspective. That's cool. That's really cool. I love that answer. 
Yeah, and it, I guess what it gives you sort of a deeper perspective to the idea of unity as a body of Christ, because it's it's global, not just within you know our community here. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned, oh, actually, you didn't mention, but you know, your husband Kevin, um, you're both members of Witness New Zealand, um, and I know that you both have spent a lot of time this year driving all around New Zealand. Um, would you be able to tell us what you do and um, sort of the value you see in doing that? Yeah, it has felt like we've spent a bit of time driving this year. Um, the inside of the car feels very familiar. <laughs> um, well. Initially, um, when we first came back to New Zealand, it was, we thought, just for a few months because we expected to go back to Tanzania um, once international travel mm -hmm. settled down and mm -hmm. um, COVID had done its thing. But here we are several years later and COVID is still doing its thing. <laughs> um, so we realised after about eight months that we weren't going to be able to return to Tanzania. Our work permits were getting near expiring. So we settled in New Zealand and while we were away, we had this amazing team of people who were supporting us. And we normally, you know, when we got home from the field, that would have been a priority for us to go around and meet people and thank them for their encouragement and support and prayer while we were away. But COVID got in the way and we weren't able to travel for ages. Um, so we decided that we would go and visit our supporters. And so that was really the basis of our travel. We, um, we might be a bit unusual in that our supporters live right across the country because uh, we've lived in Gore and we've lived in Kaitaia and several places in between. So it was... Um, a lot of traveling to go and meet people and then once kevin was invited to become part of the directorate we figured it, it made a lot of sense to also visit Wycliffe members as we traveled around and he caught up with the board members now kevin's been um associate director of Wycliffe now for i don't know six months or something and he's been to several board meetings but he never had the opportunity to meet people face to face wow uh, I think this next board meeting might be face-to-face -face and, and that will be really nice for people, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But there's, I mean, it's great chatting with you online, Esther, but one <laughs> day it would be really nice if we met face-to-face. -face I would love that. Because it's different. Yeah. And mm -hmm. as we've been around and visited people in their homes and, you know, you see something on the wall or you see one of the New Testaments on their bookshelf that they've been involved in and you hear the stories. Yeah. And the stories are just so encouraging to hear what God's doing in different parts of the world and, and that it's not just now, it's, it's history of the past, I don't know, 30, 40 years as yeah. you meet people who have come home from the field after a lifetime there. Yeah. And there's a connectedness amongst people who have served in this way um, that has blessed me because when we came home unexpectedly, I found that pretty hard. Um, but there's people who understand what that's like. And so there's been this, we've been really encouraged and blessed as we've traveled and met people. And it's also been that opportunity for us to, to just thank those who've supported us on our journey. That's really cool. 
you're right about the whole in-person thing. Um, I actually initially got involved with Wycliffe Bible Translators in any capacity because um, Wayne and Carol Freeman, he was the director at the time, they came and visited my house where I lived in Wellington and just shared about the work of Bible translation and I was a teenager at the time and it just completely captured my attention especially the fact that I had grown up in the church and never thought about Bible translation um, until that moment of time and realized oh my gosh um, I also I think one of the first questions that I asked was like well I've never heard about that is, is, are there certain streams of church that give the most and so so then I realized like you know I've grown up in a certain stream of church and um, they're they're like traditionally pretty um, unaware of the work of Bible translation compared to other streams of the church and so that made that gave me a drive to be like well I want to make sure everyone knows about it um, but that was all because of a face-to-face you know um and sure maybe it could have happened via zoom or something it wouldn't have at that point because I don't think zoom existed at that point but um (laughs) but uh yeah there's something really really special about meeting people and the tangibleness and I think he had brought um a you know a bible and a different language and then when the first time that we we came to the states we got to visit the seed company and went into a room full of of bibles from every language well not every language but you know all the ones that they have in 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 stock there and it was just wild to see all the different covers and all of the different pieces of work that had been done and realized like these are not small books (laughs) Um, these are incredible works that have been given for people to meet with Jesus Um, and yeah I I love that whole concept of going and making sure that you face to face with people Um, super super cool yeah and I also I love that you do that um, because as we sort of mentioned on the last podcast with Nick and Lydia Height, they were talking about this importance of the whole team involved, not just the people that go, but, you know, your supporters are a very key part in your team and you doing that is recognising that and um, just, yeah, that building that community with them. Um, And I also love that you talked about the impact it has on you. Like you're not just going for other people's sake or to make sure that they feel involved but it's also that you get encouraged from it as well as well um i think that's the yeah picture of just how fellowship kind of works you know both people are strengthened um when coming together with this shared mission um yeah i love that yeah so uh how can we how can people how can anyone support you I think the biggest the biggest support is prayer. Mm-hmm. And there were so many times when we were um, serving overseas that I just thought, oh, thank you, Lord, for all those people back home who are praying for us. Um, and even now that we're back here, you know, there's, there's, the challenges are different, but they're still there. And we send out a um, regular newsletter and... I put prayer points in there um, and try and keep people up to date with what's happening in Tanzania uh, as well as 
some of the things that are going on with Wycliffe New Zealand because we're kind of working in two different worlds now, Kevin and I. Yeah. Um, yeah, so prayer's good. I also love it when people ask questions. Um, I can, yeah. The kind of work we do is, is a bit complicated to explain. Mm-hmm. Bible translation is a little bit different uh, to people's concepts of mission, really. Um, and so sometimes when I'm talking about it, I'm not quite sure quite how to say things, how to explain things so that people will understand. And when people ask questions, mm-hmm. then it gives me a framework to put my explanations on. Cool. Yeah. So I really, I really value the feedback in that mm-hmm. sense. When we were visiting our supporters in the South Island, um, one of our supporters had actually printed out every newsletter and she had such great questions to ask us while we were there. That's so cool. encouraging. Mm. Yeah, I love it when stuff like that happens and you realise like people are actually invested and they're, you know, going through the things and and remembering. um, And for anyone watching like way to be a great friend you (laughs) I remember when I first came to the US I might have told this story before but um my um I was coming for a visiting trip for three months and my life group at church were all praying for the trip and one of the girls came to me and she was like do you have any like just special prayers that you have weighing on your heart and I was like honestly I'm just really terrified that I'm going to go to the US and like put on so much weight because I'd been like working out quite a bit at that time and I was just like I don't know what the food's going to be like we're going to be touring all the time you know it's just easy to put on weight and um, I know this is so trivial and whatever but um, but she prayed every day that I was away for um, my weight and that while I was in the US that my um, that my weight wouldn't you know just balloon or fluctuate or anything like that and um, I came back in the best shape of my life um, and and so she was so thrilled when she saw me she was just like oh my gosh you look incredible and I was so thrilled because I was like you prayed <laughs> um, and it, you know and it came to pass and obviously you know there were physical elements where I was very active and I was really careful about what I ate and all that sort of thing but just knowing that they the people are with you and praying for specific things like you said um it's so it's so incredibly intangibly tangible how powerful that is (laughs) um and so I love that so much it's really really cool um you said something that I uh wanted to follow up on ah you mentioned earlier that um it had been quite scary to you the concept of you and your husband maybe being called in different areas and while you're both still in translation it seems like you're currently sort of doing really really different things is that still a thing that's scary to you or is that something that you're much more at ease with I thought for a minute you were going back to the marriage advice. <laughs> <laughs> no, try not to like bring my agenda into everything. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's something we're quite comfortable with now. Cool. Um, actually, when we um, when we came back, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> when we came back, it was 
really Kevin's plan was to um, get something like a, a job at Bunnings, which would pay the bills and support me in my habit, is how we used to say it. <laughs> Uh, and I would continue working remotely for uh, for SIL Tanzania. Um, but as the months went by and we became more settled here, then he really felt that he would like to continue to be involved. And that has really blessed my heart to have him still involved in the work of Bible translation. That's cool. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, we have this practice on the podcast of praying for five nations every episode. Um, so this month we'll be praying for Belgium, Belize, Benin, Bermuda and Bhutan. Um, would you be able to lead us in prayer for those today, Julian? Sure, I'd love to. They're such contrasting countries. Yes. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we bring before you the people of Belgium, Belize, Benin, Bermuda, and Bhutan. And as we reflect on these countries, they're a reminder to us of the diversity of your creation. Yeah. There's island nations and there's landlocked places. Some of them are heavily populated and some of them have few people. They're ethnically diverse and they speak hundreds of different languages. Some of them have many people who believe in you and a strong church presence and others barely know you exist. Yeah. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen and uphold your church in all of these nations. Help the believers to find creative ways to share your truth with those around them. With this bondage, we pray for religious freedom and an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Yes. And we pray for those who are involved in translating and distributing your word in these countries. Lord, we ask that you'll give them fresh energy when they become tired and fresh hope when they become discouraged and that you'll give them the tools they need to complete the task. Lord, please raise up support teams, people who will faithfully pray and uphold them in their work. And we pray, Lord, that your will will be done in the nations of Belgium and Belize and Benin and Bermuda and Bhutan, mm. that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. um, it's been great having you, Dillian. Guys at home, she was concerned that she was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be as interesting or engaged as the other people. That was awesome. So, so good. <laughs> we loved having you. And um, if you're at home watching, please like and share and comment. It helps us out. It helps to spread the work of Bible translation further. Um, the more people who hear about it and know about it, the, the more that we can do all of the time. So... Thank you so much for listening, for those who have been with us from day one and for those who are joining us new, we're so happy to have you um, and we'll see you next time we put out a video uh, once every month. So we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.